You know, a common topic of conversation in the boating life is uh, people you had to pluck out of the water, living or dead. So I want to tell you, wear your life jacket and put it on your kid. And you might think, oh, it's a personal choice whether I do it or not. Well, it's not really a personal choice for me to have to jump in the water and save you. Because uh, I'm going to do it. Don't make somebody pick up after you. It's like taking a vaccine. It's a small thing you can do so that nobody else has to die saving you. People might forget this, but our culture operates on the assumption that you've done everything you could to protect yourself and to take care of yourself. And when you're in trouble, we need to help you. So keep that in mind. You put on the life jacket and your chances of needing somebody else are smaller and your chances of living are greater. Where we stay on the Delta, there's wide access to the water, and it seems like there's a drowning every month, it seems like. Here's one that comes to the top of the list. Officials confirm a body pulled from the Sacramento County Delta area was a man who fell in the water when the canoe he was on flipped. The man was a 22-year-old who was vacationing with his friends and family. The River Delta Fire District said um, he did not know how to swim, and he was not wearing a life jacket. Let me just drop a quick statistic on you here. 86% of drowning victims in recreational boating accidents in America were not wearing a life jacket in 2019. If you could lower your chances of death by 86% by just being minorly inconvenienced, why in the world wouldn't you do that? You know, and even though the, the number is small, the, the statistical chance of uh, getting a boating accident in a rental boat is fairly high. And uh, though California is phasing in the new, new requirements for vessel operation, for some mysterious reason, it exempts the rental in this industry entirely. So I'll have to get a license in addition to my other qualifications that I already have uh, to continue to operate my boat. But if you uh, walk up to a rental counter for a boat, they'll say, you got a credit card? Imagine if they did that in the car rental industry. So anyway, the statistics say most people are dying in small boats near shore in warm water. If you had a life jacket on, you could float around out there in that hot water for days safely. It's keeping the water out of the lungs that matters in warm water. And don't tell me that you know how to swim because that's a silly response. You know, people say like, oh, well, I could swim to shore from here. Well, sure, that's like saying you could walk home after a car crash so you don't need a seatbelt. I mean, you know, it's not that... It's not the swimming that's the problem. It's what shape you're in when you hit the water. By the way, seatbelt and helmet laws might be uh, an appropriate analogy here. They're not here to protect you. The helmet law is not to protect, protect your soft head. It's to protect me from having to spoon feed you soft food for the rest of your life. You know, shipwrecks are apropos of nothing. If men could only train for them and have them occur when the men had reached pink condition, there would be less drowning at sea. That's according to Stephen Crane in his great short story, uh, The Open Boat. I don't know if you know Crane. He wrote The Red Badge of Courage, an important 
uh, early 20th century American novelist. He went down in a, in a ship called the Commodore um, where he was serving as a war correspondent during the Spanish-American War. And he uh, had to uh, take to a, a tiny dinghy, really, and uh, he recounts the story in, uh, in the open boat. So, you know, this is personal to me because I've, I've seen the aftermath of it um, way too many times, and it seems simple uh, and even uh, uh, comfortable <laughs> to put on a life jacket. And the reason I'm thinking about it in particular now is not just because I study this art and literature, which I do, but also because my brother-in-law and I had to pluck someone out of Mission Bay uh, this past weekend, and it was scary, and it uh, evoked all of these images I've already got in my mind about this stuff. You know, partly because it was a sort of common feature of New England life, there are a lot of depictions of rescue at sea. Uh, John Singleton Copley, famous American painter, his probably most famous paintings in the National Gallery, I may have talked about it on the podcast before, is called Watson and the Shark. And it shows the Watson, the young man who was rescued by a group of sailors from a shark attack in the middle of Havana Harbor in the 1840s, 1849, um, is, is Copley's most famous painting. And, and it's a it's an amazing painting. I think, in part, uh, what's attractive about these seascapes is uh, the amazing texture and light potential of a of a of a seaside painting that that combines with it the drama of a rescue. But anyway, there uh, it, it's fairly representative of. I, I wouldn't call it a genre of painting, but there are a lot of, of paintings depicting similar rescues including the really intensely dramatic Winslow Homer painting called The Lifeline from 1884. It's, it's really a remarkable painting, and some people consider it his masterpiece. It depicts the use of a life-saving device called a breeches buoy, uh, and it was amazing. They'd fire a, a line out to the ship with a, with a mortar, you know, a gun. I'm not kidding. And then they would pull themselves out there, and they would grab the victims, and then the guys on shore would pull the line back and try to get the people onto the shore. The woman's, uh, you know, she's leaned over, she looks passed out, and she's wearing a red scarf, I guess, and it's wrapped around the face of the rescuer, and the, we just see his hands, the faceless rescuer, um, you know, saves her. You know, then we have things like the Wreck of the Hesperus, the Longfellow poem, where the arrogant sea captain you know, uh, believes his ship can't be, uh, you know, can't be destroyed in a, in a gale. He has his young daughter with him. He ties her to the mast. And then she's found, you know, floating the next day. The sea was frozen on her breast, the salt tears in her eyes, and he saw her hair like the brown seaweed on the billows rise and fall. There are all these uh, crazy images of, uh, of people in the water. What Hawthorne describes as pictures of drowned persons in lithe and graceful attitudes. Margaret Fuller, the American writer, died in a shipwreck off of Fire Island in July of 1850. Uh, and she, she was carrying a manuscript for her, her last book 
Henry David Thoreau was sent, I, I think, kind of by Emerson to, uh, I don't know, presumably search for the search for the manuscript. The captain of the ship had died of smallpox, and the and the or he contracted it. I don't know if he died. I um, I don't remember. But anyway, the inexperienced first mate took over and uh, put the ship on a sandbar in relatively calm water. But like I'm saying, you know, it's not it's not whether you can swim 100 yards to the beach. It's uh, what kind of shape you're going to be in when you when you hit the water. In defending my dissertation, which was on sea literature, I was asked why uh, the sea killed Margaret Fuller when it supported and nurtured male writers. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, you think that the sea makes these kind of decisions? I guess what's obvious to me in my interactions with water, with the sea, is how uh, completely indifferent it is to you. There's a Jason Isbell song where he, you know, it's clearly about his alcoholism, but he says, I'm not really drowning. I can see the beach from here. It's like you can see it. That doesn't mean you have any power to get to it. I mean, obviously it's about, you know, he can see that he needs to quit drinking because it's swallowing him up, but he can't not do it. He's powerless over it. That That's actually an allusion to an Emerson essay where he describes sailors lashed to a, a spar and they're seeing the, the beach and they know that if they could just be there, they could be safe. So anyway, that's the cruel irony of a preventable tragedy, I guess. You know, so this weekend we're out sailing around uh, in Mission Bay or hanging out at, a, at the beach and some of the kids had rented a a catamaran and you know my brother-in-law experienced sailor and surfer and waterman he you know does a lot he's in the water every day he's an incredibly fit and experienced and uh he's telling me before we went out he says i have to save someone almost every time we're out here and he, he's a look around there are people on paddle boards on kayaks catamarans sailing all around and he says, don't assume anyone out here knows what they're doing. And it's all like rented boats. It was kind of surprising to me. I'd been there before and never seen it crowded like this. And apparently the pandemic has people doing boating, as I know, but also the proliferation of rental boats around there has had people, um, you know, just fanning out all over the place. And, uh, you know, inexperienced people who don't know what they're doing. Apparently... You know where where the where the kids rented the catamaran. Uh, you, know, you just go in and say, "Hey, I want to rent a catamaran." They say, "Okay." So we're sailing around, and I see an overturned boat, and I go, "Hey, that boat flipped." And 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 you know, it's not. I've described where we sail in the Delta. I mean, it's blowing thirty knots every day. And you got to really know what you're doing to be out in the bay or out in the Delta. But Mission Bay is gentle. I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed there was enough wind to flip this catamaran even on an accident. I mean, even on a, an accidental jibe or maybe even on purpose. But anyway, we see this boat over and we sail over. And uh, 
And at first we thought, oh, well, it'll be all right. We looked for him, and they're like, I don't see anybody. And then we finally see a young guy sitting on the pontoon. He seems to be by himself. So we sail up there, and there's a young lady who we can't see under the sail. And we, see her, we say, are you okay? And they say, yeah, she's putting on her life jacket. We'll be okay. So we kind of sailed away for a minute, and then I'm like, ah, we, we need to go back. Something's wrong here. We go back again, he's not helping her. We get around the other side and we see that she's tangled up in these lines. On these catamarans, the jib sheets, um, they're the, you know, if you're not a sailor, they're the lines that control the forward sail. They're tied into a couple of loops so that they don't have, you don't have to find the end. You just find the rope and you pull it the direction you want. But uh, they're a little bit dangerous because you can get tangled in them and she had fallen right through them she was wearing a hat that was clearly choking her. She was trying to hold on. She was slipping off the slippery plastic hull of the boat and popping under, and her life jacket was entangled in some of those lines, and she was unable to get high enough out of the water to get it on after she was in the water, and she clearly did not know how to swim. So fortunately, my brother and I, my brother-in-law and I, and my brother-in-law in particular started barking orders at her and we were able to get her down the edge of the thing and untangled from these lines. One of them was around her neck and the other was around her waist and we were able to just by force pull her out of there onto our boat. And uh, eventually, with a little help, we were able to get the boat righted we made them both put on life jackets while their rescue was going on. And then a few minutes later, we see the young man swerving all over the place, clearly out of control of the boat and not wearing his life jacket again after this crazy experience. I just, I don't know what's in somebody's mind to be that stubborn and to just move forward with their incompetence that blithely. Later on, we saw the boat moving well, and, and the answer should have been obvious um, to, as to why, but it was because the young woman was now in control of it, and she was continuing to wear her life jacket. So she kind of, you know, learned the lesson. I guess that's unsurprising, too. At any rate, I want to tell you, it was terrifying. She's tangled up in these lines, and I'm thinking of all of these images from, from art and literature of, uh, you know, these corpses that would be found on the beach fairly regularly in New England from these shipwrecks. And, and the thing about a drowning is that it doesn't really, it doesn't do that much violence to the body. The bodies look preserved and sometimes even beautiful at the beginning, obviously. And to my mind, you know, I just saw these images. There's a, you know, uh, there's in the Blythesdale romance, the the Nathaniel Hawthorne novel. There's a drowning scene, and he actually it's a kind of interesting interesting story. Um, Hawthorne had a boat that had been owned by Henry David Thoreau and his brother, and they took it on a boat trip um, on the Concord and Merrimack rivers and wrote a novel of the same name, and. Uh, and uh, Hawthorne, you know, bought the boat when he lived in Concord at Old Manse, which is a, a 
Ralph Waldo Emerson's house. Um, and anyway, there was a, a young woman named Martha Hunt who I think ended her life intentionally in the river, but uh, Hawthorne was charged with going to find the woman in the blue dress. Um, and they you know, found her, which I'm sure was horrifying. And he uh, repeated that scene in his novel, The Blythesdale Romance. You know, one of the crazy things about the novel, I mean, Hawthorne had, had written in his journals, and he'd become fairly obsessed with, uh, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but he was very concerned with this Martha Hunt, the young woman who had ended her life in the river, and he had had to go retrieve her body, and there are all kinds of, of, of very, uh, I don't know, very uh, potent descriptions of, of that experience. And then, um, you know, later on, when he writes the Blythesdale Romance, he uh, has Zenobia, his, uh, one of his main characters, uh, end her life in the river in a similar way. And that character is often thought to be modeled on Margaret Fuller, who a couple of years before the novel came out, uh, lost her life in the shipwreck that I discussed before. So, oh, and then also Hawthorne's younger sister, Maria Luisa Hawthorne, lost her life in a shipwreck on the Hudson River. She had to to jump off of a uh, burning paddle boat, a steamboat named after Henry Clay. She had to choose death by water rather than by fire. So that's biblical at least and crazy. So maybe my dissertation defense question wasn't so crazy because here Hawthorne seems to be combining uh, the, I don't know, the intention of the sea <laughs> and the deaths of these women. Anyway, I just want to say I almost saw art realized in my own life when I saw this young woman tangled up in these lines and looking terrified on what was otherwise, you know, a peaceful sunny day, everyone out enjoying themselves. People seem to think that they can't die on vacation, too, you know, so, so they do things that they would never do otherwise. And they take risks in the ocean or the river or whatever because they think it's some kind of a, you know, Disneyland ride. But it ain't. So anyway, that's the podcast for this week. I know it's more public service announcement than it is essay, which is what I usually shoot for. But, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've had to save people in the water, and my brother-in-law is doing it all the time. Thankfully, he's there. I, I don't know what happens when the bystanders are not there to save people. Um, but I want to tell you that they shouldn't have to because you can learn to take care of yourself. And if you take care of yourself... Uh, the first winner in that game is you. Uh, so I guess that's the message, that, that individualism comes at the price of developing the expertise uh, to pull off your individualism. So get some instruction. Go slow. Learn how to do it, and it'll be better for everybody. Um, okay, take care of yourselves, and also, you know, obviously save people if you get a chance to, if you're in that position. I'm never suggesting that we wouldn't do that, okay? Thanks, friends. I'll see you next week.